welcome to the Tent Podcast. That is to say, Thriving in Technology. Your hosts are Sam Moulton and Cecilia Taylor, members of the Influencing Marketing Team here at NetApp. Today, we are excited to be joined by the multi-talented Amy White, a fellow member of the IMC, a group of influence marketing professionals organized by our friends at Tech Reckoning. So while we know Amy, the influence marketing pro, we don't know a lot about her work in the field of, hmm, intuitive business assessment services. What intrigues us is the intuitive part. And we're really looking forward to diving into the discussion. But first, let's give Amy a chance to introduce herself. Hi, Amy. Welcome to the Tint Podcast. We're so happy um, to have you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. So as Cecilia mentioned, we know you through the Influence Marketing Council. And uh, that's, you know, been a very interesting, um, I guess, journey along listening in and finding out a lot of different things about the work that influence marketing people do. But I had the pleasure of having dinner with you uh, the last time I was out in California and had the opportunity to talk to you about things I did not know about. And so uh, there appears to be a lot more going on in your life than just um, influence marketing, tech reckoning, and that kind of thing. Um, and I really think that your story about your sort of early to mid-career, because we don't want to say late career, because you're so young, you're too young to have a late career, um, and how it set the stage for the life changes you made are really, it's really is an interesting, and I think it would resonate with our, our listeners. So please tell us a little bit about who you are, how you got here, what's What's Amy all about? Oh, wow. You've opened the door for such a great uh, <laughs> platform for me to uh, talk and talk. So hopefully I will uh, keep it short and sweet. I, um, you know, I ended my career in tech. Um, I actually am an engineer, uh, electrical engineer by degree. Um, and early in my career, I worked for several Fortune 500 companies doing telecommunications, networking, um, equipment uh, at a age running all of the global network uh, services and a hundred plus person engineering team for uh, a large uh, East Coast company. And, and I loved tech and I loved being on the cutting edge as a, as a young female uh, running a, an organization that had such an amazing impact and important impact on the company and how the company ran from financials to um, telecommunications to network and it was great for a, a long time. But as I was moving up the ladder, I started to realize that there were certain aspects about the work that didn't fuel my fire, you know, and, and, and part of it, I think, was, you know, and we talked a little bit about this earlier, was being, being a woman in the tech field and really feeling like I had to work extra hard, extra hours, and more than my, um, my, uh, peers so that uh, I could continue to prove myself over and over. But there was also this part of me that was, you know, kind of a soft internal whisper, I guess, at the beginning that said, you know, there's more out there that you can be doing than this. So early 2000s, I actually had to uh, come up with some employee development for myself, and I found a coaching certification 
And I presented it to my leadership and said, you know, I'd like to do this coaching training and then bring it back into the organization as part of my role. And it was great. I agreed to it. I went through the certification and I found that I loved to do the coaching. I love to coach and mentor, to see my employees, to see um, other, other people's employees really start to turn their, their career around, to thrive, to overcome barriers that they didn't even realize that they had. And so while I was climbing the ladder of, of leadership position, leadership position, leadership, I started to also do this coaching practice on the side. And really interesting is that as I was doing the coaching work, I started to realize that I had information that I could sense about my clients that I wasn't really sure I, where it was coming from. And this, I started to realize, was you know, intuitive information that was coming in. Now, throughout my career, I prided myself on being able to manage from my gut. I could make split-second decisions um, that, and I, and with confidence because I just trusted that gut instinct. And as, you know, as I progressed through the years, I realized, oh, this gut instinct and intuition really are kind of the same thing, at least in the way that I interpret it. So it was really very interesting. I climbed the ladder actually in tech, technology, operations, uh, finance, audit, all around tech for um, just over 27 years. And I finally got to the top of the ladder. I was a, a C-level uh, with, uh, with a, start, a startup company. I got to the top of the ladder, looked around and realized that the ladder had been leaning against the wrong wall. And I really wondered- I love like, that. I mm -hmm. get, how did I get here? You know, because I purposefully and methodically you know, was, was climbing the ladder. But then I got to the top of the ladder, at least that specific ladder, and, and I was like, oh, no way. This is absolutely not what I want, not what I expected. And it didn't, it didn't align with me. And it didn't feel good for me, which is when I realized that I had to make some changes. You know, you don't often hear about intuition and business mentioned in the same sentence. When did you realize that it might be the missing link? Oh, that's such a great question. And I think it really, you know, goes back to when I started to do the coaching. When I started to do the coaching and I started to sense, oh, wait a minute, I'm having this gut instinct, not just about the decisions that I'm making, not just about the, you know, the, the way that I was trying my programs and run my staff and, and, you know, make sure that the clients were being taken care of. But as I was working with these coaching clients, I started to realize that I was having gut instincts about what they were going through some of what they were finding as challenges, something, you know, those types of things. And, um, and I actually sought out some support in the more spiritual community. Is, is this what I'm experiencing? Because I, I realized I had always had that sense. I didn't really have a name for it. In tech, especially, I was so left-brained and, you know, so, you know, linear in my thought process because that was my training and my conditioning through, you know, being an engineer, that the thought of producing that was so right-brained into the mix became a little bit of an internal struggle for me. Was I really wanting to know what this sense was or could I just go through life saying, hey, I got, I've got a good gut 
sense. I've got good instinct. And, you know, and here's what I'm picking up from you. I could, I could explain it, you know, I could rationalize it and, oh, I can read body language or, you know, but there were many, many times where information came to me, client that I would have had of knowing. So it was enough of a knock on my, you know, a knock on my soul to say, let's explore what this is. I'm seeing here that you have something called the intuitive business assessment concept. Can you explain a little bit about that and the kind of challenges that you're brought in to tackle that this assessment helps with? Yeah, absolutely. So the the cool thing about the intuitive business assessment is that it it, it marries two things that I'm really passionate about. One of of which is that I did a lot of business process re-engineering in my career just by virtue of the roles that I was in and the to cut costs and improve efficiencies and, and all of those, all of those things that we're all faced with, you know, day to day in the corporate world. So I had a real skill set there. And I realized that the missing piece of that was, was looking at the end to end business process, uh, w- both from a, from a tactical perspective, but also from energetic perspective. And so to to lean in with my intuition and look at that same end-to-end business process from two different directions has has really shown to be extremely beneficial. Because oftentimes, and we talk a lot in the work that I do about energy blocks, and a lot of times you can't resolve an energy block necessarily through thinking your way through it. So the, the process could look pretty efficient. There could be, you know, energetically um, resistance from the team that's, that's implementing it, or there could be resistance from the manager who's running that business process, or there could be a number of different things energetically that are getting in the way. And so I put two things together to give, you know, a, a multidimensional view of the of the process or or if i work if i'm working with a smaller company it might be looking at their organization as a whole and doing that same kind of assessment you know tech like left brain right brain work all all you know merged together amy can you tell us the type kinds of challenges you've brought in been brought in to tackle from the companies uh, that have hired you and can you give us uh, some of the outcomes Absolutely. So most recently, I've worked with a couple of, of clients that both were, were similar in that they were looking to change some of their programming. They were looking to roll out new programs. They were looking to their older programs, but they really weren't sure what, what made the most sense. And they had brought in consultants before that, you know, gave some, um, they gave some suggestions, but when they went to to map forward, it didn't really it didn't really match both what the the mission was of the company, nor the direction that the leadership wanted to take the uh, the programming. So I came in and helped look at the end to end process that they were following, and then looked at each program both from a from a tactical perspective. What what you know what was the program about? What were they, you know, looking to get out of it? How was it impacting their, and then looking at it energetically as well. So from an intuitive perspective, I was doing an assessment on each of the programs to say, does this energetically match the goals, match culture, 
the direction and then put together rec recommendations based on that. And then that client uh, took all of the suggestions and implemented it in a pretty, implemented them in a pretty quick time frame and already saw significant results. So the older programs that weren't generating the revenue, um, they weren't, didn't lose the revenue from getting rid of those programs because the revenue of the other programs and the new programs that they introduced actually more than covered they thought they were going to lose by eliminating some of the programming. So it was really exciting to see um, not just how um, I came in, to, in and assessed what they were doing, but then to actually see in a pretty quick turnaround how the impact was so substantial for that client. You know, another customer brought me in recently to do to look at their um, hiring process and um, and to look at where they were having trouble in a couple of areas. One was that they were feeling like they weren't getting uh, the right candidates for the job. And the second area and this was a these were tech positions. And the second area was that they felt that when they were bringing people on board, very quickly after they got the people into the positions, they realized that they were making wrong hires. So, you know, a little bit of a different business process um, assessment than what I normally do. But it was, again, very interesting and, and energetically looking at what were some of the things that were happening internally with the people that were doing the recruiting, with the people on the team that were doing the hiring, what were some of the commonalities, both from a, you know, both again from a left brain tactical perspective as well as from an energetic perspective? And we found that there were a couple of um, there were a couple of the employees that had some um, had some stories about what they thought they were supposed to be doing in the job that was different than what they actually were supposed to be doing in the job, and that that. Was an, that was an interesting awareness because once it came out into the light, we were able to look um, even more at the leadership of that organization. They communicating the expectations and what bar were they holding those employees to? And often in the there's a there is a there is a people element because we all these stories have these limiting beliefs that we bring forward. We we have this desire to prove ourselves and to um, do what we think we're supposed to do and not what we're in, not what our gut instinct is telling us to do. And so the ability to have the conversation with the team and to look at that holistically was really important. Since that project, they've actually hired uh, some really fantastic people that, that met all the criteria and, and have allowed the team to grow not only financially, but also in a cohesive way so that they're actually more of a team than they've been in the past. Wow, that's fantastic. Hey, so do me a favor and, and, and just clarify for me, when did it stop being Amy working for this other company as a coach to Amy running her own consulting firm doing these um, intuitive business assessments? Right. So when I got to the top of the corporate ladder, as I was sharing earlier, and I looked around and realized, you know, not I was not what my soul wanted me to be. As at that, that time, I was running. Um, I was the head of uh, purchasing tech purchasing for the company, and I was also still doing coaching on the side as, as a bit of a side hustle. And I realized that 
point that it was really time to make a leap. That what I wanted to be doing was I wanted to be doing the coaching work. I wanted to be doing the consulting. I wanted to be looking at you know this business process uh, from a way that married both both the loves of my life from a business perspective. You know, my my left brain and right brain are super happy when they both get to get in play. Um, and so I I literally um, gave two weeks notice and launched um, with a short um, short two week respite <laughs> from uh, you know recovery period from going from this nineteen hour a day job to uh, to a nineteen hour a day job that I was doing on my own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so that was not much of a transition period for you. Um, but yeah. it sounds like it's, it's working really well for you. Um, you know, I, I will just say this, when I hear the word intuition, I'm, I'm all over it because, you know, I, I really believe that that plays an important role in my life. And I do wish I, I would listen to my intuition more, um, than I do. Uh, but what happens when you're called in by a client and your client buys into the whole, this, you know, this process is going to be really effective, but the individuals that you have to speak with and work with when they're, when they're extremely resistant, how do you, how do you cope with that? Well, I think, you know, first of all, I love to call things into the light. That's one of the things that's really important in the work that I do. So call resistance out, not calling the people out. It's not that, but it's calling the resistance out and it's, it's acknowledging that resistance going in, you know, that people are resistant to change, whether it's woo-woo intuitive change or whether it's, you know, the standard, you know, reorganization, the centralized decentralizing that happens within the workforce on a day-to-day -day basis. There's a lot of resistance. So I, I, I do address that right away. I think, I think my resume lends itself uh, to credibility for me because I have, you know, I have a tech background. I have an engineer background. I've, I've worked in multitude of corporate roles. Um, so I'm pretty normal. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not coming in there with, you know, like, you know, crystals and magic wands, not overtly anyway. Um, and, and I think once people start to talk to me and recognize that what I'm doing uh, there is, is less about um, the, the business practice and more about how to how to make it easier, um, have more flow and um, you know more ease in the workplace. And by by looking at the the different types of business processes that we it often not always results in some some ease and flow, which benefits everybody. And so I you know I work to you know bring people on board right away. Now that there's all, you know, I think there's always going to be, you know, some resistance in there. And often if the leader of the organization is behind it, then it's, it's much more likely to flow even when there is resistance because there is some falling in line that needs to happen. But for the most part, it, at least in the work that I've done, you know, people are really receptive to it. We, we've, you know, I can speak for myself in all of the years that I've roles where we tried this and we tried that and consultants would come in and, and they would make recommendations and then they would leave and we would sit there looking at the recommendations like, well, what do we do with this now? So, you know, I think they're ready to try something new that hasn't been used or done before because all of the other ways that they've tried to tackle these problems or these challenges have really worked for their highest. You clearly took a huge leap of faith. Um, 
when you stepped away from a corporate career path, uh, one you'd been on for so many years. And we know that whenever we're kind of in a space in our career, it's, it's, it's difficult to look to do something different. Looking back for you, do you think there's something that you would have done differently if you could? I think that, you know, we get to where we're ready to change, not a minute before we get to a point that we're ready to make a change. Look back and I could say, you know, when I took that last position uh, as the chief procurement officer of this company, um, and it, it became this 12 months of absolute chaos in a startup environment where I was traveling out of town every week and working 19 hours a day. I could look back and say, at the time that I accepted that position, I knew that it really, I was already done with the, the corporate trek that I had been on. But there was part of me that really I had worked so many years to achieve that level of leadership in the organization. And I, I just, I, I needed to know that I could do it. And I also felt there was a proving part of me too, where I wanted to prove that I was the right person for the job and, and they, you know, they made the right selection and I could single-handedly, you know, build this organization while running the organization at the same time while saving, you know, $15 million in EBITDA along the way. Just some um, you yeah. know, just, just a little, just a little challenge here or there. But, but I think that, um, and there's a quote and I always mess it up, but the gist of it is, is that, you know, when it's too painful to stay in the bud, right, the, the flower blooms. And, and I felt that I got to that place where my soul was saying, this is no longer, not only is it for you, but it is now becoming detrimental to, to your health and well-being. I tell a story often, and this was really the turning point for me. I was um, sitting in the, uh, in the office. The headquarters were in Stanford, Connecticut. Um, I didn't live in Stanford, Connecticut, so I flew in Monday, flew home on Friday. And uh, it was about 7.30 in the evening, and I was Googling urgent care. And the reason that I was Googling urgent care was because I knew that I had some lung infection, asthma thing going on. But the, Googling to find out where it was. I was Googling to find out what time it closed so that I could, <laughs> could figure out how many more hour minutes I had to stay in the office. <laughs> um, and um, it, was, it, was, it was pretty crazy. And at the same time, the security guard had come through and shut the lights off on the entire floor as I was Googling, um, which happened often because I was one of the last folks uh, in the office many nights. Um, and I called out to him to please <laughs> lights back on. And realized that I needed to leave at that point anyway to get to urgent care. I got to urgent care um, and they took a look at me and said, we're going to try this treatment on you, but it doesn't work. You're going to have to go to the hospital. So I was really that sick and that stubborn. Um, and, that, and that sacrificed myself for what I thought was the best for the company. I'll shorten the story up a little bit. But anyway, the treatment worked. They sent me back to my hotel I slept through the alarm the next morning. I missed the 6 a.m. Uh, uh, meeting that I had every day with my CEO. I missed a number of other meetings with my staff and clients, and it was, it was surprising. Um, but I didn't have a single phone call. I didn't have a single email. I mean, literally no one had looked for me. Oh. I know. But it was, oh. a, it was, beautiful. It was actually a really beautiful gift. Because, uh, okay, here I am really 
giving my all for this position that I already knew really wasn't for me. And I realized that it was, there was no veracity. Um, oh, and, 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 yeah, yeah. And no value for the work that I was doing. Oh. And so it was really in that, in that moment that I, I actually just, I ran corporate travel. So I called the agency and I said, book me on the next flight home. Um, and uh, when I got home, I, I really sat and thought long and hard about what my next steps were. And I did have opportunity with a, with a company. Um, it was a very similar position. Um, and, the, and shortly after all of this, um, a great interview, and uh, they were calling me to offer me the job. They, the, the VP of HR said, be prepared this day, we're going to give you the offer. And when she called, instead of giving me the offer, she said, the CEO froze in the company. We really want to hire you, but there's nothing we can do at this time. In that moment, I realized, yeah, I needed to make a change, and it needed swift because I was, I was not, as I said earlier, in a great space mentally, emotionally, physically, or spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was, so there was a part of it that was really like, I needed to myself from myself. Um, and it, it ended up being the, the most rewarding, painful, challenging, exciting decisions of my life. And I'm, and I'm now five, five years later in five my, years uh, healthier. yep. Five years healthier, five years later in my business. And, um, and it's been, it's been a roller coaster, but it's been amazing. And as long as I, as long as I follow my intuition and listen to that, you know, gut instinct, um, it, it, it really all works out. Wow. That's a lot. Um, I can't imagine what that must've felt like, uh, to be so ill and not have anybody, uh, following up to see what was going on. I mean, part of me thought the reason for that was that because you were so dependable and so trustworthy and they relied on you so much that they just had to feel that it was, um, you know, uh, I don't know, an anomaly that you were going to be popping through the door any second, but you took it in a way I think that was far more productive and healthy for you, which is a sign that it was time to make the change. Yeah. So, so tell me, um, what advice would you have for others um, in light of what you've experienced, um, these other people who might be considering making a similar change? Well, you know, I would say, uh, do as I say and not as I do. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, giving two weeks notice um, uh, and walking away without a safety net is, is not for the faint of heart and um, not something that I, that I encourage, you know, my own, you know, clients in private practice to follow. But I also encourage people to really listen to what their inner being, what their soul, what their intuition is telling them. And for me, it was, there wasn't, it was so clear that of the I had to make that I knew that if I just trusted it, it was, everything was going to be okay. But have a plan. You know, it's, it's, it's the awareness piece where you start to recognize, wow, I'm, I'm in something that isn't bringing me joy. And that's no longer lighting my internal fire. Um, and, and actually it's, it's becoming detrimental. If we can hear that when it's a whisper, you know, that's, that's a really good place to, to be able to acknowledge that something is shifted, something changed. So often, and we all do do this too, we get attached to things. I mean, I had worked my, for two decades plus to climb that ladder and the thought of me walking away before I could ring the bell 
at the top was, you know, it was the thing that drove me to stay that extra year. And it was also the thing that really could have resulted in me becoming much more, you know, unwell had I not listened to, um, you know, to the bigger, louder signs from the universe uh, at the time that I did. So listening to, you know, really being truthful and authentic with yourself about where you are and what you want and whether where you are in your career is really meeting your needs and then get practical about it. I mean, intuition is great, but I love, you know, again, my left brain is super gauged all the time. And so getting practical, making a plan around, you know, talking to your network, um, finding a mentor, you know, and really exploring, do you want to do the same job just for someone else? Or is there something else that really lights your fire and, 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 and ignites that something, creativity, passion in you that you want to completely shift directions? Getting clear on that before you're, you're at the end of your, you know, at the end of your rope, so this is really important. And I would say that's probably the most important thing. Um, and we all we all own the responsibility for ourselves. It's not no one is gonna your 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 boss your your leader isn't gonna say to you, hey, notice that you're you know you're not as passionate about your job anymore. Um, you have to really own that within yourself and 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 have the courage to say, I'm I'm just gonna be open to the possibility that there might be something out there that meets all of my needs financially, you know, joy perspective from an adventure perspective and whatever those things are that that are the core to you, um, to trust that that's out there and you just have to be willing to to explore a bit and excavate a little bit to see what that might be. I got some great quotes out of that particular uh, segment right there because I think so much of that resonates so well. I know what you do takes a lot of focus and it takes a lot of energy to, to, and clarity to accomplish. What is your secret uh, for keeping yourself healthy? You know, is that uh, being active or movement? What, what do you do? Yeah, for me, it's movement. Um, I'm a runner. Um, I'm also a yogi and I have recently kickboxing and dance and some other things. I have found for me personally that um, the uh, tense movement, you know, uh, whatever that might be, really helps to keep the energy flowing within me. And when the energy is moving, then I have more clarity and I feel better about, you know, my physically, I feel better mentally. Um, and, and, and that's really important. I also, I have a morning practice where I take time to write or um, meditate or to read something inspirational so that when I start my day, I start my day really grounded into my body. You know, one of the things that we do as humans, but I think women is um, we hit the ground with both feet and we're flying around until our head hits the pillow. And we often forget that we're walking the world in these physical bodies. And so there's a big disconnect um, between kind of our emotional self and our physical. And so starting the day for me really grounded into my physical physical vehicle that's going to carry me through the day helps a lot from uh, from a staying, you know, to staying present. And that to me is one of the most important uh, gifts that I give to the clients that I work with as the gift of present and really, you know, being 
um, in alignment with with what their what their shared needs are. Um, and I don't. And I, when I was doing this corp, this last corporate role, I had stopped running. I wasn't eating right. I, you know, had a couple of cocktails for dinner most nights because I was too tired to even eat food. And I had, you know, my I had put on weight, and I was just. I mean, my hair was falling out. It was it was a, a really crazy time for me to to realize how far in twelve months I had all that I had given up self care wise. Um, for this position. And so now that's my priority. I make, you know, some kind of movement every single day. And as I said, the more challenging, the more and better for me. And you know, when we had talked earlier, um, you mentioned something that I think is really important, and that's having fun, whatever that is, that it doesn't have to be going to the gym and lifting weights. But if you're, if you feel like dancing, um, you mentioned, you know, things like kickboxing. And I think there were a couple of other things that you mentioned too, that you just enjoy doing. It doesn't have to be that traditional, you know, workout um, for however many minutes and that, you know, as long as you're having fun doing it, that's, that's accomplishing something, um, you know, just as important. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we're all, um, I often share the story of the of the, the level of exercise you know that I'm that I'm at right, but we we all come from a different place and different fitness levels. So the important piece of that is, and you just said placement. You know, it could be walk dog, it could be riding the stationary bike while watching you know Netflix. I mean, whatever it is that really um, that really is that part of you where you you feel less like it's the drudgery of exercise and more of celebrating the movement of your body. Um, that that plays a big role. You know, that plays a big role in it. And it's and then it's not this obligation. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have to go to the gym. Oh, I have to get my run in today. It becomes more of this, oh, I get to go play. I get to go play at the kickboxing gym or I get to go play in the Pilates studio and I get to challenge myself in whatever way that is. That lights my fire. And for others that might, you know, it might be something different. It might be, a, you know, a, a slow walk talking on the phone to a, you know, to a friend or whatever it is. I, you know, it's like what you can with what you have start from there we have one last question and it's a question that we didn't put on the outline uh and it's a question that we like to throw out that's just in general to both of you to sam to amy oh no i'm on the hook again yeah of course Mm. if you could have lunch with any person living not uh that is currently with us now uh, who would it be and why? She goes first, right, Amy? Between the first. <laughs> oh, I, you know, I, I, I just pictured this table of so many people that I would love to have lunch with. I think More right now. One, right? More than one. Yeah. yeah I, I a nice big I, table. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I would say it's a, it's a toss-up between Obama and Ellen DeGeneres. Oh, my actually. God. That's who I, oh, my God. That, no lie. Okay, people who are listening to this are going to think that we're lying, but Honest to God, it was Obama, Ellen DeGeneres, and Tim Gunn. Um, he, he came up for me as well, because I, I just love Tim Gunn. But yeah, okay. So we're going to have a little, we're going to have a fabulous lunch. <laughs> we are going to. Okay, well, you invite Ellen, and I'll invite Michelle, and then all four of us will have lunch together. Oh, wait, did you say Michelle Obama? Oh, yeah, I said Michelle oh, Obama. Oh, okay. I love Michelle, but I was thinking Barack. So well, we can bring them both. They're both going to have to they come. They have to come. Okay. They both right. can come. Yeah. <laughs> and I would 
DIY is that uh, when I look at when I look at at them, not in you know taking politics and all the polarizing pieces of it out. Um, what I see is I see drive, I see authenticity, I see um, I see a truthfulness of of who they are and how they let their light shine. And, um, and to me, that's very inspirational. Part, part of my own personal creed is to live unapologetically authentic. And, and that's drawn to people who are willing to put themselves out there in such, a, in such a way that's not just authentic, because authenticity is a real buzzword right now. And, and, and you know, I think people can be authentic simply by being vulnerable. Uh, with their stories, but to be unapologetic about it means that they own their experience, however it might be judged outside of them, and they're okay with who they are and what they do. And that's not 100%. I mean, this is not about perfection. But I mean, to me, that's inspiring. And that's how I try to live my life. And I think the conversations with that group of people we just talked about would be mind-blowingly amazing. I'm down. I'm down with it. Let, we're, you know, now we got to just figure out where we're going to have the lunch. Yeah. That's right. Michelle, but call. <laughs> <laughs> Invite them. They shall come. <laughs> I think it's great. And I think one of the things that we strive for is to be unapologetically who we are. Um, And I think that as we get older and as we learn who we are and the experiences that we have, we get closer to that uh, concept of being unapologetic. I think that where I envy some younger people is that sometimes they're living that now. They're living that before they get to the experience. Um, And they're not weighed down by you know, societal pressures that they are unapologetic now. So well, sometimes they should probably be a little apologetic. A little bit more, but saying, you know, just, yeah. I know that that's my goal <laughs> is to, to live my truth and be mm-hmm. who I am, no matter who's listening or no matter where the audience is. And I think that's how we learn to be more comfortable with ourselves so that we can truly thrive wherever we are. I thank you so much for joining us today. To our listeners out there, we know you have a bunch of podcasts you could be listening to. So we appreciate the time you take to spend with us. We hope you will add us to our, your list of must listen podcasts. And of course, we'd love to hear your feedback. What works? What doesn't work? What would you like to hear about in our next episode? We encourage you to email us at ng-tentpodcast at netapp.com with your comments and questions. Of course, in our show notes, we will include Amy's uh, information and contact uh, info and of course the Twitter infos so that you can ask her your own questions or reach out to her. Thank you so much and uh, until next time.